0: Lord, may my spoken word be faithful to your written word, that we might see the living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. And please do flick to Acts chapter 11, if you would like to, in the Bibles at the end of your pew. How easy it is to despise the things that God has made. One of my very best friends in the world has a very checkered history. He was always getting into fights at school. Um, He was really badly bullied at school, really horrendously at times. He cursed more freely than anybody I've ever met before or since. Um, He had drug problems, alcohol addiction problems that eventually led to homelessness. He raised a few eyebrows, let's say. He is a Northern Irish Roman Catholic and I'm a Northern Irish Protestant. And we grew up in a time where that kind of friendship wasn't really okay. No curse word ever crossed my lips. I never got drunk. I have no interest at all in drugs. I've never been in a fight. And we were quite a pair together, opposites in a lot of ways and yet best friends. People looked down on my friend, and their condemning gaze fell upon me sometimes too. How easy it is to despise the things that God has made. Acts 11 verses 2 and 3 say this. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's as if they were saying to Peter, What do you think you're doing? Hanging around with them. You're dirty now. Don't you know what they are, those people over there? You call yourself a Christian and you're hanging around with them. How easy it is to despise the things that God has made. And so Peter, starting at the beginning, explains to them. He has this really incredible vision. There's this like giant sheet coming down in his vision with a load of unclean animals in it, things that make you dirty if you eat them. And so Peter says, surely not, I don't go near any of that kind of stuff, Lord, surely not that. And God says to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. One of the great movements in the book of Acts is the understanding that God's love includes things that people thought were outside of the margins. As the community thought about what it means for Jesus to have been raised from the dead, they realised that his love includes things that people thought it didn't. They realised that there's no created thing that's outside of the love of God. There's no thing too dirty for God to love. There's no person too foul-mouthed. There's no person too drunk. There's no person too violent to get away from God's love. God wants to bring everything back into his love... renew life within them through repentance, as it says in verse 18. And that word repentance is a really crucial one in this passage I think in verse 18. God's love isn't the same thing as just bland acceptance of everything, of things that are wrong. When we sin, let's say in violence, let's say in destructively attacking a fellow pupil at school, that's not okay. That's rejected by God. And Jesus tells us pretty strongly in Matthew's gospel about anger, doesn't he? That it's not okay. There are things in our lives that are not okay. But to us, God has granted a repentance that leads to new life. There's no thing that has gone so badly wrong that it's beyond the love of God. I think there'll probably be some of us here today who think that we've gone so badly wrong... we're beyond god's love in some way or that god is really angry and furious with us in some way and i pray that when we come up for holy communion today that we will hear god's yes declared over us in the blood of jesus christ and that he may lead us to that new life that's described in verse 18. there'll also be some of us here today i think who think perhaps someone else has gone so badly wrong that God doesn't love them, or perhaps an entire group of people, in Northern Ireland it was the whole Catholic Protestant thing, I think politics encourages it sometimes really, in this country too as well as Northern Ireland, how easy it is to despise the things that God has made, and so I pray that when we come up for Holy Communion today, we will hear that God's yes is not only for us, it's for the whole created order. For he is renewing and remaking all things. So if you're flicking along in your Bible, could you flick to uh, Revelation 21, right near the end, um, where it speaks about this vision of what this renewing and remaking actually looks like. I wonder how many of us here today think we're going to heaven. that when we die, and die we will that will float off to heaven somewhere, floating on the clouds, leaving our bodies behind in some sort of strange disembodied existence as our soul somehow lives on in some strange world that's totally different to what life is now. Well, I think that that's not at all what we read in Revelation 21, one of the clearest visions in the Bible of what God making all things new actually looks like. For in this vision, the prophet sees a new heaven and a new earth. And he sees this holy city, this new Jerusalem, descending from God. And he hears a voice in verse 3. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this is the place where God dwells. God makes his home among us. He comes to dwell with us. The whole world becomes his temple. The Spirit has made everything, the whole world, fragrant to him. And hurled by the Spirit, all things make their way towards him. People of every tribe and tongue and nation. Christ is the renewal of all things. All things are in Christ. And Christ is in all things. For he has invited us into this new life through repentance. The tomb-wrecking glorification of the Son... It wrecks our tombs as well. The grave is destroyed and forevermore he is ours and we are his and we are each other's. Hallelujah. Forever and ever, every moment is amen. What a different picture to the thought that we'll leave all of this behind. That we'll die and be released from these bodies to float off into the sky and beyond. I was speaking last week um, to a group of students at the other church that in part of St Thomas's in Lancaster about this and one of the most perceptive young ladies I know asked why? If if you're right, if that's right, why do we think the opposite? And you know, I think the answer to that is because the church isn't immune to absorbing unhelpful ideas from culture and thinking that they're actually biblical. This idea about leaving our bodies behind, it's actually a Greek idea coming from a guy called Plato. He thought that matter was essentially bad. This stuff that we're made of is essentially bad. And spirit is good. So, to attain perfection, we have to leave all this bad stuff behind. And to become spirit, to float off into heaven. How easy it is to despise the things that God has made. For God has not made matter and called it bad. That's not part of Genesis 1. God looks at what he's made and he calls it good. And he calls the collection of these good things very good. When the good things come together they become very good. So matter's not bad, not even after the fall. The world's not bad. It's not something we should look forward to leaving behind and escaping from. To go to heaven. No, this is all something that we should look forward to God remaking and renewing. And we should work hard to create little outposts of that renewing here on earth. For we will be his people, and God himself will be with us, and he will be our God. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He's making all things new. Hallelujah. I was out driving the other day. I was coming back from a bit of a journey with uh, Elise and Emma. were with me, and I didn't want to have to think too much about where I was going, you know. So I, I turned on the sat nav and I punched in Lancaster, bring me back to Lancaster, and I sort of just cruised on home, not thinking about the journey I was on, not thinking about anything that I passed, not thinking about the cars, the people, nothing. I was just cruising. And I think that there's two mistakes that we can make when we're thinking about heaven. We can pay far too much attention to the sat-nav and we can pay no attention at all to what's happening around us in the world. Or we cannot even turn the sat-nav on at all and not know where we're going and potentially even get lost. So this vision of the new heaven and the new earth, it has to inform what we do, here and now. We can't just ignore where we are, like me driving my car with my satnav, oblivious to where I was. We can't just ignore the problems of the world as we wait to get home. It just doesn't work like that. God cares far too much for this world. We can't despise the things that God has made. The church is here to testify to the world what it was and what it is and what it will become. But on the other hand, we can't just ignore what's coming either. Lest we become a people without hope and without a goal. If we don't know where we're going, then we'll really only be driving randomly. We'll have no idea of the rich blessings that will come when God makes his home among us and calls us into our home with him, that he is graciously prepared for us. If we ignore what's coming, that when we encounter darkness, and we will encounter darkness, we'll allow ourselves to be swallowed by it because we don't know what's coming. And I say what's coming rather than where we're going to, very deliberately here. I was thinking this weekend about um, my trip to the Holy Land again. I was in the Holy Land in February, if I haven't told you about that. And I was thinking about the streets in which Jesus was mocked and beaten by the centurions. I was thinking about him walking to his death. of his walking into the darkest moments of his life. And I was thinking about his words in the Last Supper, which Craig will remind us of in Holy Communion liturgy in a moment. It says, Taking bread... He gave thanks and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Jesus gives thanks even in the very darkest place of his life. Here's a man, and man he was, he was also God, but he was a man. Here's a man who darkness tries its very best to swallow and fails. Here's a man who walks towards death, giving thanks as he goes For he knows that the dark place in which he treads is not the end of the story. For our wonderful saviour he rose again to new life. To offer us and all creation that new life that we will taste when we come to his table in just a moment. And it's for that reason that I offer myself to his church. To be his servant from now until the end of my days. I do hope that some of you can come to to my ordination. And if you do, that's what will be happening there in my opinion. I will be made God's servant. I will bow my knees and I will become God's servant forevermore because of this. So I will sing to the Lord God all of my life. I will sing praise to my God for as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. So friends, pray for me, that I might sing God's glory well. For Jesus wants our company. That's what he's telling us when he invites us forward into Holy Communion. He wants our company. There's none too dirty to come before him. Do not despise the things that God has made. He calls us to be present with him and with each other. He identifies himself with the material reality. This stuff is not bad. He identifies himself with the material reality in bread and wine. And he speaks healing into the very darkest places in our lives. He's making all things new. Hallelujah. And take heart this is not a guess. Jesus Christ is the foundation for all reality. He will never fail even when our words fail. There is no place in scripture where God says let and doesn't then make it happen. In the scriptures, darkness wins never. The new creation is better by far than we can imagine. Jesus wins. Jesus does not lose to creation. He's never overpowered by darkness. So wait patiently in him this day. As we say, come Lord Jesus, and renew this land and renew your church. Amen, we say. Come, Lord Jesus.